0: Good morning. So we continue on in the book of Genesis, come to the seventh day. I absolutely love that we're going through the book of Genesis, um, especially chapters one through 11. So many of today's hot button issues and probably humanity's hot and button issues can be answered there. Um, But I know we're on a time crunch. I feel like I can hear Pastor Aaron talking in my head saying, just read the passage and pray and sit down. So I'll move on. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. By the seventh day, God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Would you pray with me? Father God, As we prayed last week, again, we thank you for your holy scriptures. You have given us a roadmap to answer the questions that often trip us up in our fallen world. And I note, Lord, that in the scriptures that we just read, we're told that after six days, the heavens and the earth and all their hosts are complete. No further creation or changing of creation was needed, and therefore you rested. Your resting on the seventh day gives us an example of man's need to rest. So today, Lord, my prayer is this. May we not follow your model of resting just for physical restoration, but may we truly find rest in you, and in so doing, find spiritual rejuvenation. For Jesus, in his own words, says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What an offer to those who choose to follow your commands. Let us lay pride aside and humbly come to you to truly find rest. Lord, I pray for our guest speaker today. May you fill him with words spoken directly from your Spirit. I pray for this family of believers, that we would learn more about you each day, but more importantly, Lord, that we would draw nearer to you and grow to love you more each day, that we would never cease to seek you, and that we would speak your great message to anyone who would hear it, that we would model your likeness to anyone who would see it, and that we would extend your great love to all, even those who would choose not to receive it. May we never be shy to boldly proclaim our faith in our great God. We pray these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, IBC family. Um, Before I introduce our speaker here this morning, I have uh, some in-house news that we just need to kind of bring to your attention. It only probably applies to two car owners in here. Uh, there's a gray Pontiac and a blue Nissan that have their lights on. If that is you, your lights are on. Um, so just a FYI, if you, maybe they're turning off, maybe your battery's already dead and it's not an issue anymore. Um, if you're wondering, uh, there's a lot of gray Pontiacs. This particular gray Pontiac has a license plate labeled pistol. So uh, just to bring a little more clarity to which gray Pontiac we're talking about here, so. <laughs> um, I don't want to, at the same time, take away from uh, the opportunity we have this morning as, as uh, Elder Joe was just talking about. We are uh, on our seventh day of creation. And at this rate, we're never going to finish in Genesis. Happy you'll be dead before we do that. Um, but I, I think we're going to be picking up the momentum uh, ever so uh, quickly. But this morning is a vital Day to understand in the fullest possible way. Uh, so oftentimes, uh, some passages of Scripture we can read and gloss over, or we know, but we don't pay as much attention to, maybe like we ought to. And uh, so as, this, as I knew this message was approaching, I've been meeting with my, my friend and brother in Christ, Otto Gershon, and uh, we've been meeting off and on, uh, almost on a weekly basis or every other week basis, and uh, just getting to know each other, encouraging one another, praying for one another, and, and at the same time, as I listen to him share about God's intent of establishing, establishing a Sabbath day for us for our benefit, on our behalf, uh, I was like, man, Otto, this guy is the one, he's the one that needs to be the mouthpiece in order for us to grasp and to receive and that our lives might be changed. So, brother we are so happy that you're here. Uh, three years ago, I bought a piece of, we, my wife and I bought a piece of property in the Four Seasons Ranch. We didn't know who you were. Uh, you were the secretary uh, at that time at Four Seasons Ranch. And who would have thunk that three years later, uh, we, we would be having this kind of interaction uh, with one another. And so, praise the Lord. IBC family, would you give a warm welcome to our brother in Christ, Otto Gershon. Come on up.
2: Sabbath, on Friday evening, we light the candles. Obviously, it's not Friday evening, but uh, we're doing this for illustration. So thank you for having me. Thank you for your patience. Um, Let us put our eyes on the Lord.
0: Hello, hey, are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with your commandments
1: and has commanded us to keep the Sabbath holy. Amen.
2: Thank you very much, Charlie. The elders' prayer was absolutely beautiful, but uh, could we pray together again? Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your loving kindness in granting to us eternal life in Messiah Yeshua. Father in heaven, we thank you for the blood of Yeshua. We thank you for the resurrection of Yeshua. And Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that instructs us in the way. And Lord, you have called us during such a time as this. It is a time of, of trembling. It is a time of fear. It's a time, Father, when we need your wisdom more than anything else. And we need your presence, Father, for you to be as your Son, to be wisdom, walking with us. Father, we invite your Son into our hearts this morning, and we ask, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive the revelation of your Word. Father, to receive the revelation of your heart, and to understand, Father, the times that you have called us. In the name of your Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, we pray. Amen. In light of that, uh, forgive me if if I say Yeshua... Oftentimes, rather than Jesus, um, it's just my, my tradition. That's what his mother called him, so it's okay. Um, and, and I will refer to, to, uh, to God's name as Yehovah, which is the, the Hebrew. Um, it's the sacred name that, that uh, we Jews were not supposed to say, but the Lord said, use my name and bless the people in my name. So I, I use his name. The slides up here are a little bit off of the slides that I have, and so there may be a little bit of confusion in that regard. Please bear with me. I have many slides, and so I really need to uh, press through this. And it's my prayer that, uh, that the words that I share, though they come through my soul, they will be from heaven to you, because this is the Lord's message. And I to believe from the bottom of my heart, that we need to hear and understand this word. So, the lighting of the candles, we separate the sacred from the secular. It's the sacred day of the Sabbath, and we usher in the Sabbath light. Oh, there we go. So what I want to share with you is a little bit of introduction to uh, a Jewish presentation of the Sabbath, but then we're going to look at the Christian view. <clears throat> Sorry, I have to uh, organize my slides here. The Christian view of God's vision for the church and how that relates to the Sabbath. And what I want to show you, what I'm hoping that you'll see is that they are complementary, that they they work together, literally like husband and wife. And these two views, the Jewish view and the Christian view, they have been separated for 2,000 years. And we are at the time of Yeshua's return and God is calling us back. He called the Jews back into the land and he's calling the Jews back into the faith. And it says when the Jews finally, he sent the the gospel out to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. But when the Jews come in, it'll bring life from the dead because both of our perspectives, the wives need the husband's perspective. The husband needs the wife's perspective. We need one another's perspective. So I am so deeply grateful that your pastor has invited you to hear a slightly different perspective, and I trust that it will bless you. Let's read the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of Jehovah your Elohim. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days, Jehovah made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Jehovah blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So now let's invite the Sabbath bride. Come, my beloved, to welcome the bride, the presence of Shabbat we receive. Guard and remember in one divine utterance we heard from the one and only God. Yehovah is one, and His name is one for renown, for splendor, and for praise. Come, my beloved, to welcome the bride. The presence of Shabbat we receive to welcome the Shabbat. Let us go, for it is the source of blessing. From the beginning, from old, she was honored. Last, indeed, but first in thought. Come, my beloved to welcome the bride, the presence of Shabbat we receive. O oh, sanctuary of the King, royal city, arise and depart from the midst of upheaval. Too long have you dwelt in the valley of weeping. He will rain compassion upon you. Come, my beloved, to welcome the bride, the presence of Shabbat we receive. Shake off the dust and arise. Dress in garments of glory, my people, through the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Redemption draws near to my soul. Come, my beloved, to welcome the bride, the presence of Shabbat we receive. So we invited the bride in, and this may sound uh, uh, foreign to you, but I'm hoping that you're going to see by looking at the Christian view, the combination, the the complementary nature of this. What is God's vision for the church A vision is critically important. The vision of the United States united the people together. But as we lose that vision, we are being separated and we are becoming weakened. But God has called us as a people together to have our sights set on the heavenly vision and to understand what God's vision is. In order to unite, be united together in his love, we need to be united together in the vision. Proverbs 29 says, where there is no vision, the people... Are unrestrained, they're undisciplined, they, they don't know what to cut out of their life in order to focus on achieving the goal. And God has a goal for us. And obviously, that goal is, is a relationship, but that relationship is heading somewhere. It says, Be happy is he who keeps Torah, because the Bible God has given to us is the guidebook to bring us all into the mind of Christ, so we're all set on the same vision. We light the candles because in the beginning God said, Let there be light. John interprets this in the New Testament. When we say, let there be light, we know that he was talking about physical light. And yet John interprets this in the New Testament and says that that light that he was referring to is looking for a greater light, and that greater light is found in Yeshua. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The Paul, Apostle Paul says the same thing to the Corinthians. He says, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In six days of creation, God formed the temporal world. However, in the Sabbath, we see that he is forming something greater. He is forming a bride for his son. To this end, he is transforming us into spiritual, heavenly beings, radiant of his radiant glory. Therefore, you heard last week that he created us in his image. Let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. Let him rule over the fish of the sea, over all the earth. He created us to rule, because he's an Elohim who rules. And he created us in his image, male and female, to be relational. So we rule and relate, just as he rules and relates. And we saw last week, you saw last week, that this peculiar language of the plural, our, we, let us make man in our image, male and female, that this is a picture of the three persons of God, just like God created us male and female to be married together, that our marriage is an object lesson of the glory of the relationship of the Father and Son bound together by the Spirit of love, by the Holy Spirit. The marriage institution is a picture of this relationship between the three persons of God. These three persons are working together in an intimate, harmonious, highly functional love relationship. And the Sabbath is a promise and a vision that God is inviting us into that relationship with them in an intimate, loving, and working relationship. And obviously, Yeshua is the open door into that relationship. Paul describes this relationship structure as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body, and we are the members of his body. Sorry about that. I have to remember that there's two different... Oh, I'm going the wrong way. They, uh, They don't match, so... I'm going to read in Colossians. Beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond and unity... Let the peace in Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. God has called us to be bound together in the spirit of love, which is the Holy Spirit. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, that it's through the word of God that we come to know him, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, who interprets that word for us, that we all, all come into that unity, that bond of Messiah for this cause. So we saw in chapter 1 from last week the context of, this, of these verses of the Sabbath. But in the coming chapter, it's the same context. We see in chapter 2 that the very definition of marriage is in the chapter of these verses. Okay, we're speaking in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and here in chapter 2 is the definition of marriage. What is God's vision for the church? What is God's vision for Israel? And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. I want to share that these two candles represent, the first one represents the seventh day of creation, And the second one represents the Sabbath millennium. A day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. If I had the time, I'd show you the incredible pattern of the first day. What happened on the first day, let there be light, and how it corresponds to the first thousand years. The second day is the second thousand years. Third day to the third thousand years. It's this table of contents in the first chapter of of Genesis that explains the entire plan of God leading to the messianic kingdom where the bride and the groom will dwell together, reign together with all glory. The seventh day is a promise. The Sabbath is a promise, God's promise to us. And the fulfillment of the promise is the bride in the millennial reign. Obviously, we are to be that bride. Whoops, sorry about that. And the promise is given by the groom. It's the groom's promise. He's the word. And the fulfillment of the promise is his bride. In Exodus 31, it says, You shall surely guard my Sabbath, for it is a sign between me and you throughout all your generations that you may know that I am Jehovah who sanctifies you. So the Sabbath is a sign of the millennial reign to come. But it's a sign of a relationship between God and us, between me and you. Recognize the passion, the love relationship. And what is he going to do? He's going to sanctify us. That is, he's going to transform us into our, from our lowly estate, from our prostitution of our sin, and bring us into the glory of a spotless bride. And this is his work. So there's two creations. This is the heavenly city. This is the promise that God has given to Abraham. He didn't give it to the church. It is the church's promise, but he gave it to Abraham. We inherited it. The church inherited it from Abraham. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Yitzchak and Yaakov, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. This is God's promise to Israel. So to Israel, your land will be married. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor your land will be no longer said desolate, but you will be called, My delight is in her, and your land married. For Jehovah delights in you, and to him your land will be married. As a bridegroom rejoices over a bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Do you know why there's a struggle in Israel? Do you know why the enemy wants the land? Because that land, the land of Canaan that is going to become the, the, the Zion, the bride of Christ, that's a picture of your soul. It's a picture of who we are as a corporate body growing up in the fullness of Israel. There is a war going on over this. You feel it. Oh, Jerusalem. You see it. I'm going to, I'm going to pass through this. God sanctified the seventh day as a promise that he would sanctify you and make you to be a part of Israel, grafted into the olive tree. In Exodus 31, we already read, Surely guard the Sabbath, for it's a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am Jehovah who sanctifies you. He's passionate about his bride. That he would sanctify Israel to make her holy and transform her into the spotless bride. You may say, uh, but wait a minute, this is, this, is, this is the church. The church is the bride. And that is true, but the church is a part of something else. For Paul says in Romans 11, for if you were, you were cut off by what was by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted into nature into, con, grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more shall these who are the natural branches, the Jews, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you to be, brethren, to be informed of this mystery, lest to be wise in your own estimation own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to the children of Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in and thus all Israel will be saved. There is a war over the Christians and there is a war over Israel, the Jews, because Satan is working over both. But these are the two houses of Israel and God is passionate about bringing them together and bringing the bride to fruition that he may give the bride to his son in holy matrimony. Oh, sorry. Remember, Paul says to the Ephesians about the one new man of these two houses coming together. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua... You who formerly were far off, far off of the commonwealth of Israel, far off of the covenants of promise, you have been brought near through the blood of Yeshua. The Christian church did not replace Israel, but has become an equal part with and of Israel. We are one people. So what is God's vision? This holy city. Let's take a look at these candles again. The promise is to be received by faith. That's our part. He gives the promise, but we must receive it by faith, or we're not a part. And we need to walk that faith out, and the fulfillment of that promise is love, the full manifestation of his love in the bride of Messiah, in each one of us, and then corporately, all the cells, all the members that make up that bride. but we're not there yet. First is faith, hope and love. The greatest of these, of course, is love, but we're in between these two candles. We still see through a glass dimly. We don't see the full love of God. When we do, we will radiate with that love fully. But we're still walking by faith in hope for what we do not see. He is the way. He points, this is the way, walk ye in it. And how do we know the way? In between this, uh, in this we have the, 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 the kala, we have the bread. And that bread is a picture of the manna, and that manna is a picture of the word of God. So, where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. But that word that God gave to us is the word of Torah. The whole Bible begins with Torah, and Yeshua said in the Sermon on the Mount, Do not think, I'm sorry. Hope, the way, faith by hearing. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, to fulfill. The prophets are speaking of what is to come. They have to come to pass. That cannot be abolished. The law is the patterns, the blueprint of his vision. That can't be abolished. It must be fulfilled. And it's going to be fulfilled in Messiah. And we're waiting for it to be fully fulfilled. In Jeremiah 6, it says, this is what Jehovah said, stand by the ways and look and ask for the ancient paths ask for that ancient vision renew that ancient vision where the good way is and walk in it that you will find a resting place for your souls and isaiah chapter 58 says something similar except that that ancient path became ruins so there's a need some of you among some among you We'll rebuild the ancient ruins. We'll raise up the old, age-old foundations. And you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the paths in which to dwell, repairing the the two houses of Israel coming together, renewing the vision that uh, uh, was distorted. It was distorted by the Jews, so we rejected Messiah, and then it was distorted by the Christians through the Catholic Church and the Protestants. Uh, rebelled against that and said, "No, we need to come back. We need to come back to the first century." But they never made it back behind Constantine. So it's still a Constantinian church. We need to repair the age-old foundations, especially in these last days. That's Isaiah chapter fifty-eight, verse twelve. But the next verse is, "If because of the Sabbath." You turn back your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight the holy day of Jehovah honorable and honor it desisting from your ways from seeking your pleasure from speaking your own word then you will take delight in Jehovah and I will make you to ride on the heights of the earth I will feed you with a heritage of Jacob your your father For the mouth of Jehovah has spoken. The Sabbath is not done away with. He says we need the Sabbath in order to connect with Him. He is our Sabbath, but He's given us the sanctified day to, to, to desist from everything and come into His presence and be alone with Him as a date in that passion. We need to have that passion. So He is the truth. In Romans 1.5, it says we have received the grace of apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles for his name's sake. Truth comes by hearing the word of God, and we need to walk in it. We need to obey it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's absolutely critical if we're going to be in a right relationship that we walk together, and he is walking in accordance with his commandments, and he requires that we walk with him also. In John chapter eight, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So we're in the middle. We're in the hope. We're working out. We're battling out sin. We're battling out persecutions. We're battling out lies and disinformation and, and, and wrong mindsets. And re- tr- truth is a, is a weapon of warfare that overcomes that. And makes us free. It says in Ephesians 5 that it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light, for everything that becomes visible is light. Truth is immutable. You can drop ten atomic bombs on truth, and it will not even scratch it. But lies by definition, are vacuous. They have no substance at all. That's why a lie is a lie. It's pretending to have substance, but it has no substance. You bring truth into the lie, it exposes it, and it makes it light. You see the lie, you see that it's evil, and everybody runs away from it because it's a lie. This is the light that exposes the darkness. In John 1.5, says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it. And finally, the life. And again, the life, we have John, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. That's the light that shines in the darkness. He is the light. Therefore, we must have a relationship with him. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. This is the bread in the middle between the two candles. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. So we have been given the revelation of Torah on Mount Sinai. But then at Pentecost, we receive that revelation in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. But it's the same revelation. That's why you have to read the word to come to know Yeshua, to come to know the Holy Spirit, to come to know his ways in order to walk in them. It's the only way that you are going to overcome the world and it's the only way that you are going to enter into the relationship with eternal life. This is eternal life. That they may know thee and the only true God and Yeshua HaMashiach whom thou hast sent. So eternal life is a relationship. Eternal life is time. The Sabbath is sanctified time. The Sabbath is a picture of that relationship. That relationship is absolutely everything. Apart from it, you will perish. But with it, if we take on, he has granted to us the precious and magnificent promises. If we take on those promises by faith, we become partakers of his divine nature. We literally are being transformed into the substance of his character, the substance of his love, the substance of God himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So he is the great AM, but you are to be his glory, the manifestation of his glory here on earth. One of the seven angels spoke to me, spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like very costly stone, like a jasper, sparkling like silver. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates in the city. The tree of life is the bridegroom. The city is the bride. All of this is consistent. It's all about the bride. This is the vision. God is passionate. We get so involved in the things of the world. We forget what life is about, why God has called us. That's why we don't keep the Sabbath. That's why we don't come into his intimate presence when he calls us. So we looked in the context of the chapter before, that he created us for this very purpose in his image that we may enter into a marriage. And I mentioned that the definition of marriage is in the chapter 2, the very chapter that we're we're in. And I want to take a closer look at that. And to do that, we need to look at the structure of chapter 2. And this is an outline in your study Bibles. Usually before every chat, every, uh, book, there's, there's outlines. This outline is a Western outline that you're very familiar with, but this is not how the Bible is written. This is not how God orders his thoughts. And so there's a mismatch there. And when you read outlines, it probably isn't very interesting to you for this reason. They can be interesting, like table of contents, but it's like, uh, that's pretty academic, right? This is a structure of an outline that is common to scriptural text. This is of John chapter 16 when Yeshua is speaking to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And you see that at the... At the top, there's, a, there's an A and there's an A prime at the bottom. A B and a B prime. A C and a C prime. Jesus' words of assurance and Jesus' stronger word of assurance. They compare one another, and so you come to understand this phrase by understanding that phrase, and understanding that phrase by understanding that phrase, and it all focuses down into a center, which is the center and the focus of the entire text. Okay, and the whole Bible is written with this, with these kind of structures, and without knowing it, you miss so much. Well, chapter two. Is Oh, look at chapter 1 first. In chapter 1, we see evidences of it, that in our text, chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. That term, the heavens and the earth, we heard that before. Not anywhere through all of chapter 1 except verse 1. In verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This heavens and the earth, just this quickly, this is also a picture of the bride and the groom the earth the land haaretz in english i mean sorry in hebrew haaretz in hebrew is is uh we we that's the land when we talk this is the land of promise this is the a picture of the bride and the heavens are a picture of of yeshua there's so many different levels of scripture but what i want to point out is that there's a correlation between the first chapter and the second chapter it's this chiastic structure we see this in day 1 and day 7 also in day 1 it says let there be light and then in day seven, the Sabbath bride is the manifestation of the, his, the light of his glory. Okay? Now let's take a look at chapter two. In chapter two, the first three verses are about... Whoop, sorry. Let there be light, His light of his glory. The first three verses are about the Sabbath. But if you look at the bottom, the definition of marriage... And the perfect marriage where the man and his wife were naked and were unashamed. They were in perfect, vulnerable intimacy together and unashamed. This is the perfection of marriage. And the word completed in our text. He completed the first creation. He's completing the next creation, the new creation, which is the bride and Messiah. Do you have this kind of marriage? This is not the way our marriage looks like. Because we have to work out. It's not the marriage that we're having with the Lord. We're going through 6,000 years having to work out and come to that perfect, peaceful marriage. Okay? You can see that this cast structure gives a lot more information. It, it, uh, you see that God forms the man, and he forms the woman. He plants the garden with trees, and he plants the man in the garden. And then there's the river. It's like, what are those rivers about? Without going into it, because I don't have the time, let me just tell you that it's about the choice. These two trees, we have a choice that we can walk by faith, which will bring peace in our relationship with our wife, peace in our relationship with the land that we're working, and peace in our relationship with God. Or we can walk our own way, and it'll be conflict and war as we're seeing all around us, okay? This is the center of this entire Chapter And it's all about the bride because God wants to work together with the bride. Do you know why there's war right now? There's war because the two houses of Israel are like a husband and wife that are divorced. And we're not getting along. And all of the children, the nations, they're running amok. And God wants to bring us together. He wants us to bring us in one accord and to stand in the full authority And when we stand in his authority, all the children will settle down. And that's going to happen when he comes, and he is about ready to come. But we need to see the vision, because he sees the vision. He's passionate for his bride. Israel is in the land. Did you notice? The enemy knows that the end is coming. That's why there's all this conflict, and his eyes are on you. And we need to get right with the Lord. We need to get, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, the things of this world go strangely dim in the light of his wonder, glory, and grace. We need to see the new Jerusalem in heaven and stop looking at the things of the world that we're involved in. That's what the next half of this message is about. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their hosts. This word completed in the Hebrew is kalah. It's the first, Hebrew is read from right to left, it's the first word, okay? In the English it's not, but in the Hebrew it is. Also in the second uh, verse, in Genesis 2, oh, I'm sorry. There we go. So the word completed in our text is the first word in the Hebrew verse. The word is kalah. It's it here. It's it's uh, kulu because it's a passive uh, plural form of kala. But the second verse, the word also is the kala, and it's the first word of the verse. Why is this significant? Because the word, whoop, yes, the word means completed, finished is kala as a verb, and there are. Ten different forms, synonyms of complete or finished in Hebrew. But there's only one word for bride. And this word as a noun is bride. Can you let that set in? This is the word that he used to talk about the Sabbath. And it is the word bride. On the seventh day, God completed his work which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day. Some translations said by the seventh day, saying it doesn't make any sense that it's on the seventh day. He had to complete it by the sixth day. No, it says on the seventh day he completed the work. But I thought he didn't do any work on the seventh day. And then the second phrase, and he rested on the seventh day. So he completed the work on the seventh day, and he rested on the seventh day. But when he rested, he rested from all the work that he had done. It doesn't say that in the first phrase. Oh, I'm sorry. There we go again. We're looking at different things, okay? So, completed on the seventh day, okay? But this is his work which he had made. And in the second phrase is from all the work he had made. This implies that this is not all the work. This completion is the completion of the first creation, of the physical creation. But the Sabbath is a picture of the new creation. It's a picture of the bride. And he will rest once he's completed all his work and this is seen also in verse 3 from he he blessed the sabbath day when he because he rested from all his work and then it's this is this is his work which he had made his work which he has made but this is his work which god created and made created to make and that word make although these are singular that's sing that's all the same word but this is singular and that's plural because there's two creations. There's two things he's making. He's making the first creation, which he completed, but then hes that's a picture of we're making the second creation, the new creation, the bride and Messiah. So in the language, he is saying one more thing. You know, all the six days of creation end with what phrase? There was evening, there was morning. But on the seventh day, that phrase is missing. And the reason why is because the seventh day isn't over yet. It's going on for 6,000 years before he creates, completes the bride. Fascinating. Knowing the Hebrew, going into the Hebrew, looking at the details, it just becomes living color. Okay, so I, were were you seeing that? On the seventh day, God completed from his work which he had done. He rested from his work. So now we need to take a look. What's it mean to rest? What's it mean to cease from work? On the one hand, it means letting go of creation. God had to let go of creation so that it could have its own identity. This is... True love as a parent, we let go of a child and let them move on with their lives and establish their own identity. But this is a scary thing, uh, an illustration as a painter. Think of, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa. He painted it and long after he was dead, Mona Lisa continues on and develops a whole history, goes through world wars. It has, has all, the, people know about Mona Lisa. They don't know about Leonardo da Vinci. So God has to allow us to have an identity. But this is a scary thing, because when you let go of that child, it's a dangerous proposition. The child wants to be independent. And in the garden, we wanted to be independent, and we rebelled against God. We did our own thing. How long did it take when God let go of creation, and you stopped creation and allowed it to have its own identity? He stopped tinkering with it, right? and he lets man start tinkering with it, everything goes to hell. God doesn't like this, but this is the way that we grow up. So God had to rest from his labor. This is an illustration for how we're going to have to rest from our labor. Now, a child wants to be independent, but there are times that a child doesn't want to leave, such as weaning, and you have to push him away, which is a very difficult thing to do. It says in the Corinthian church, that God had given them all these spiritual gifts, all these powers. They were delighting in these powers. They were delighting in, in all the, the wonderful things, the intimacy they had with God. But the problem was, is they were walking in insufficient obedience. They weren't going out. They were given those powers for a reason, and that is to go out and to dispel the darkness and win souls for the Lord and transform the world. And they weren't doing that. And so they were getting involved in sin instead. And so Paul. Said there's this man who's involved in sin and he gave him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. Well, God will give us over to Satan when we're not willing to go out and go into the work. Now, this may be confusing. It's like we're talking about resting and you're talking about going out to work. Yes, we are, but this is a different kind of work. When you come into the presence of the Lord, when you come into faith in Messiah Yeshua, What work were you doing beforehand? You were doing your own work, your own visions, your own things. And it wasn't working out that well. That's why you came to the Lord. When you came to the Lord, you were purchased with a price. And you laid down your work and you picked up his work. And you were full of that fervent love for him at first. But eventually you get involved in the world, and especially in the United States. There's so many things you can do. And you get involved in your work again. And you pick up your work. You need to rest from your work, and you need to pick up his work and move forward with him in partnership. It's not your work. It's his, so it's not heavy on your responsibility. Uh, Yeah, there's so many things I want to say, Um, but I better get the right slide up. The Corinthian church, you didn't even have it. Wow. Wow. Okay, the work that we have to do, we are called as priests to go out to war, and we are given weapons of war to be successful. We are the front line. We are the light of the world. Satan knows that very well. He wants you to stop being involved in God's work and get involved in your own work and your own visions because he knows it's total vanity, and it doesn't hinder him at all. It's a tragic thing when soldiers get drunk on idolatries. It's a tragic thing that during war, soldiers forget who they are and what their job is. And the families and the nation fall apart. And this is what we have seen. The moral immune system has failed in the United States. Somebody has not been at the task of God's work. Babylon, Belshazzar, was having a party all night. And a hand came up from the table and it wrote on the wall and said, Tekel, Tekel, uh, uh, Meeny, Meeny, Tekel, O Parson, your land is wanting. It's going to be taken from that night. And that night, Babylon was destroyed. There's a prophecy that there will be a Babylon that will be destroyed in one hour. The handwriting is on the wall. Why are things falling apart in the world? There is a great war raging. In our text, in the first verse, thus the heavens and the earth were completed. Oh, dear. The heavens... Oh, there we are. The heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. The word tzava, tzava'am, all their hosts in Hebrew does not mean stars. There's another word for stars. Of course, in the simple text, we know this is referring to stars, but it's just poetic language. Yes, it's poetic language, but it's telling you something. In order to create the bride for Messiah, there is a great war going on. And there's armies on both sides in the heavenly places, and you are involved in that war as sons of the Almighty God. And he's given you weapons of warfare, and you need to understand what those weapons are. You need to be trained in them. You need to know when to use them and when not to use them. So we step out to do work, God's work. And as we work, we must die daily to our flesh so that we're more devoted to the Lord and we need to remain in the vine, but the problem is that when we go out into the world, the world is fraught with offense, with perversions, distractions, temptations, lies, and disinformation, which we hear all, it's just propaganda continually. And it's not easy. And Yeshua himself, the Son of God, sinless, he tried to walk in your world. And he couldn't do it without first spending time with the Father. Every morning, spending time getting up early in the morning, he had to, but we don't have to. It comes with consequence. So we fall to fear and we attempt to take control of the realm of space in our own way and we take matters into our own hands, and that doesn't work out so well, does it? We all have experience with this. We get disconnected from the vine, we get lost in the world. Of the confusion and the temptations and the lies and the disinformation, and then we violate our conscience and we run from the light and we shipwreck our faith and we become enslaved by the lies. This is what all of this drugs and people are trying to escape all the pain of this. Do you have a problem with this? I do. It's at this point, you don't have it up there. At Exodus 31, I'm going to read this. And you are to guard the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. This is going to sound foreign to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall you work your work be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath, a solemn rest, holy to Jehovah. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. When you read those words, you tend to think, whoa, this God in the Old Testament, he's different in the New Testament. We don't understand it. But that's because he was trying to convey to us when we were in the wilderness something very special. What he's saying is that If you disconnect from me, if you don't come into my Sabbath, if you don't join into me, you will die. You will be fraught, caught up in the world. You will be cut off from your own people, the people of faith. How? You will cut yourselves off. Satan will cut you off. It's not God doing it. It's Satan doing it. The language in Scripture It's often misunderstood. What is resting? Resting is yielding and letting go of control. How do we enter into the Sabbath? This is necessary for our sakes. Note that controlling the realm of space is necessary. God has given us six days to work. But it's a tyranny. The work is never done. The needs never stop. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 17 this is concerning the curse on the land so that Adam toils and sweats to bring bring forth food and it just brings up thorns and thistles and then it says and you are dust and to dust you shall return and it's all futility and this is the slavery of the world when we go out in the six days, the whole world walks by slavery. But that wasn't our experience in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we were called to cultivate the land. That's work. It's the same word, avodah, to cultivate the land as when we go out. But that word has two meanings in Hebrew. The word avodah means worship and it means labor. Means slavery. It means worship and it means slavery. Okay? When we were serving Pharaoh, we were worshiping him, we were doing his bidding. But when we were in the Garden of Eden, we were worshiping the Lord, and he was providing everything. And it was in vital relationship. And it's not like work at all. When you're working together in harmony with other people, when Adam was working together in harmony with the land, and the land was, the, the, the uh, uh, Adam was loving the land, the land was responding with love. And he was loving his wife, and his wife was responding with love. And he was loving the Lord, and the Lord was loving back and, and everything, and it was just beautiful a harmony. That's not work, that's not slavery, but it's the same word. But when we were exiled from the garden, it became slavery because we were cut off of the relationship. And so when you go into the six days of work without the Lord, it's slavery. But when you go into the six days of work, Not picking up your work, but walking with him in his work. It's the Garden of Eden. Understand the all of God's command. Uh, Exodus 20, that's that's, uh, uh, the fourth commandment. You are to do all your work in the six days and then enter the Sabbath. When was the last time you got done with all of your work? (laughs) Right? It never happens. So what does he mean? What he means is you need to lay your work down. And the problem is, go, well, I lay it down and then I'm going to pick it back up after the Sabbath. And that's the problem. No, lay your work down. Die to your work. It's done, over. You now have entered into a marriage. You now are doing his work. And when you come out of the Sabbath, you pick up his work and you walk with him in sweet harmony doing his work. And so he's responsible for the fruition. You're not responsible for the fruition. He's responsible for the fruition. You're only responsible for walking by faith, step by step with him. And that's a delight because he loves you. And if you need a miracle... What's that to him? I mean, it's glorious. That's the overcoming Christian life that we're supposed to have. But we, we get involved in the world and we, and we pick up our work again. That's why he says, die daily. But that's why he gave us the Sabbath because he knows that we, we don't. We get caught up in the world. So we come to the Sabbath and then we cease and we remember, oh my goodness, that's right. I'm in relationship with God. We lay down our work again. This is the principle of the tithe. When you give the first portion, the best portion, the first fruits. You come into submission to him. And you recognize that all of it is his. It's not yours. It's all his. And so when you give him the Sabbath. You recognize that it's not just the Sabbath is his. Your whole life is his. All six days are his. And so the six days of creation literally, the six days of, of labor literally becomes your Garden of Eden because you're walking with him in the midst of war, but you can overcome the world. The Garden of Eden is sanctified space. The Sabbath is sanctified time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to go and visit the Garden of Eden? God is inviting you into the Garden of Eden by coming to the Sabbath. And then entering into the, continuing in the Garden of Eden throughout the week. This is a mystery. This is profound. Understand that this is his house. We must abide in his word. Hebrews chapter 3 says, uh, uh, beware while it's still called today, that you don't harden your heart such that he will not allow you to enter into his rest. You need to obey his commandments. You need to walk by his commandments. You need to walk with him. In John 14, 15, it says, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. We must right reconnect with our husband. Are we getting this? Does this make sense? Hallelujah. It's our life. Paul says, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. He's speaking to the Corinthians who were going astray. They were delighting in all the powers of God, but they weren't walking in his commandments. They weren't walking in that first love. They thought they were, but it was false. In Verse 3, Genesis 2, 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. What is that blessing? He is the blessing. We know that. I am the vine. Oh, yeah, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. And with joy... For apart from me, you can do nothing of significance. Everything you do apart from me is filthy rags, vanity, smoke in the wind, at best. We must reconnect with our husband. I'm going to move on. We must walk in the obedience of faith, which is his word. But that word is a double-edged sword. That word is applied to us. Repent, we heard earlier today. Repent. Repent. We apply that word to ourselves, and as we do, we cut away everything that is preventing us, hindering us in our relationship with the Lord, so we get closer and closer to him and more and more like him, shining with radiant glory while becoming more strangers to the world. And finally, we must be pitchers and not cisterns. What does this mean? In Jeremiah chapter 2, it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's a sad, sad thing. How do we understand this? It helps to understand that you are to be pitchers. We are to be pitchers. We're to come to the fountain of living water as pitchers and be filled up with living water. Not for the purpose of the joy of being filled up. That's our benefit, our relationship with him. But a pitcher, the waiter goes and he pours and fills the glasses of all the people in the restaurant. And we are to take that living water and we are to take it into the world and distribute it in the world as the angels coming up and down on, the, on Jacob's ladder We are, we become those angels in Hebrew, angels as messengers. We become those messengers. We have access through Yeshua to the heavenly places in order to get the living water and to bring it down, to feed the people with love. We are his servants. We are the ambassadors of reconciliation. We are his bride operating the earth. We need to operate as pitchers. But the problem is, is that when you pour water out, you start getting scared that you're not going to have enough money the next month. And you get scared. And as a result, you stop pouring water out and you stop giving freely. You've received freely give and we stop giving. And when we stop giving and we become pitchers of water, we're no longer pitchers. We're cisterns. That's what a cistern is. And the water starts getting stale in the cistern. And we get scared because it starts evaporating and then we get cracks and it starts losing. You go, oh no. So we go out in our own way and we work with people to try to invest in other people to see if we can get more water and, and fill up but it's not the same water and it's just not working and we become broken cisterns. We need to get connected back with the king of kings and be about his work, be ambassadors doing his work. This is the cry of the Father's heart. He is lonely for you. He wants relationship with you. Hell is breaking forth in the world. And it's only going to get worse and you know it. Because the devil knows he only has a short time. And the people of Israel is back in the land. And the ministry of Yeshua is working in the land of Israel. And, and, and people are listening to Yeshua. And the globalists have started the war in Israel, and the globalists have started the war in in, in Ukraine, and the globalists have started the, did the whole uh, pandemic thing to, to take over the finances and bring in a new world order where there's a uh, cashless society. All this is happening. This is on their agenda. But God is doing this for your sakes. The things of this world are being shaken. They're being judged. They're coming down, and they're not coming back up. Because God wants you to let go of the things of this world and get in touch with him. And to come to him in a Sabbath. Come to him. Separate yourself. Cease from your work. You need to. We need to. It is our life to rebuild the ancient ruins. So how appropriate our brother in the prayer said, come to me, all who are weary and levy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We thank you for calling us home. We thank you for giving us a clear message, a clear word. That we can hear that we need to come to you. We need to connect with you in a way we've never connected before. Father, we see the world falling apart around us. Lord, it is tragic. It is traumatic. People dying without you. Father, we get scared. Lord, we ask that, I ask that this word would penetrate our hearts. I ask, O oh Lord, that you would open our eyes fully, that we would see there is no other hope but letting go of the things of this world and connecting with you and finding our first love and becoming the vessels of your life, your overwhelming power and glory as we walk in the world, walking on the raging stormy waters rather than underneath them. O oh, Father in heaven, please, Press this word deep into our hearts that it may bring forth fruit of eternal value. 60, 30, 60, a hundredfold. Help us, Lord, to corporately agree together and work together in one mind. Father, we may become a powerhouse of your glory, of your love. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this assembly. Oh, Lord, bring this to pass in a whole new way. Bring a whole new revival. Oh, Lord God, glorify yourself, we pray. Oh, Lord, bless this community. Bless Port Angeles, the North Olympic Peninsula. Bring a revival to our land. Bring us back to our first love. We do thank you, Father, for putting this passion in our hearts and this desire and and teaching us how to pray. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Bless you, praise you, Lord. Baruch Hashem. Bashem Yeshua.